Welcome back to my podcast in episode 2 of Seeing in the Dark. Last time, Anthony Oller was placed under house arrest and sent a final word to his friend before he disappeared. We continue when he awakes inside the dream world and comes to uncover a terrible secret. This all today in Seeing in the Dark. Well, as I said earlier, welcome back to my podcast. And today I am going to be reading and discussing my book. Starting with Chapter 3, Security Breach. The security guard sighed, leaning backwards on his chair and contemplating his life choices whilst he watched the camera screen, growing more and more agitated by the second. Soon... His mood took a dramatic turn as he acknowledged, smiling, presumably Caroline behind the door. However, it was not who he had presumed it was at all. And as a matter of fact, nothing would go how he presumed it would. Not tonight. I hope you brought my coffee, yelled the man in a comically loud voice. No response. Confused, he called again. I said, I hope you brought my coffee. Slowly, his smile began to transform into a frown, not because of the looming sense of sadness, but bewilderment and the small feeling of anxiety that lurked in the back of his mind. After all, it was a night shift. Everything will be all right, his mother had told him. How wrong could she have been? Stanley sent a fast sort of movement behind the door and felt the sudden urge to lock it. Don't be ridiculous, he told himself. It's probably just the janitor. However, if it had been the janitor, our story would have a happy ending. Suddenly, Stanley felt as though he had lost all control over his body and felt fear take control. As though he was a puppet being moved unwillingly, he slammed the door shut and locked it tight. Ashamed by his childlike behaviour, he slumped himself back onto the seat. Frowning, he examined the screens closely, anticipating movement. This is stupid, he told himself. You should be doing your job. However, what his job was, was the most sinister part of this mystery. Dream Ahead was an organisation designed by the government for analysing people's sleep patterns and protecting the secret in what people referred to as the tunnel. Stanley flipped the monitor back on and began to work when he noticed a small red flashing light in the window of the door. Gradually, the light got larger and larger until it became extremely difficult for Stanley to ignore. Eventually, the light became a mist, and soon the mysterious cloud entered the room surrounding poor Stanley. Soon, the mist cleared, and all that was left was the silhouette of a man hovering ever so slightly above the ground. Stanley wanted to scream, but opening his mouth, he inhaled the departing mist and felt a vicious pain at the back of his throat. I want you to tell me exactly what you're doing here, or I'm going to make that pain a lot worse than a tug at the back of your throat, grumbled the man. Stanley grasped for air, 
but the toxic gas seemed to be melting away, burning at his vocal cords. Oh, right, they don't call it toxic for nothing. I don't need you anyway. The silhouette sneered with a sinister smile smeared across his face. He crept toward the monitor, and his smile, somehow, became infinitely more terrifying. What I really need is this, he cried, his teeth gleaming white as he inched his hands toward a lever, the shining reminiscent of his horrific grin. Finally, Stanley managed to let out one last blood-curdling scream, but it was no use. The only effect it would have on him was the time of his discovery in early hours of the morning and would stop neither the failure of his job nor the end of his life nor the beginning of this tale. We now continue to the fourth chapter, The Siege, which, when I wrote it, was the longest chapter I'd written so far. It was an epic that told of dangerous missions, sinister experiments, and altogether continued the story of Anthony Oller. I hope you enjoy it, and now I'm going to switch back to my narrator voice, which I normally do before, you know, I begin speaking. (laughs) Chapter 4. The Siege. So, timestamp one. The siege. Anthony groaned at the sight of the men outside. He had become accustomed to this strange emotion, a blend of grief and unfortunate knowing due to the frequency of their appearances. They were all fairly short and wore motorcyclist helmets, demanding either respect or death. Anthony couldn't tell. In fact, he couldn't care less what they demanded, only whether their constant stern phrases would develop and somehow provide use in his long periods of isolation. Eventually, the men noticed Antony gazing through the window and proceeded to kick the door down, and despite the man's denial of his constant law violation, today would be different. Panicked at such vicious behaviour, he frantically scrabbled around his room, desperately searching for a means of escape or defence from the horrors that lurked downstairs. Meanwhile, the deadly bikers wrecked havoc down below, crushing Antony's precious possessions with a somewhat sadistic pleasure. They saw their wrongdoings and demonstrated no signs of sympathy or empathy. Both people saw each other in the wrong, a destructive and violent government agency and a terrible criminal, scheming against society. As a matter of fact, they were both correct. They were both criminals in their own right, yet both believed they were the superior. Whilst a shameful way to perceive life, it helped them both persevere, and that was one of their much more admirable qualities. Eventually, Antony grew tired of scrabbling around and decided to search for a different solution. He thought, and thought, and thought, until he came to the sudden discovery that every second he spent thinking, his enemies drew closer. So he decided that if he did not think or thought about something else, his opponents would leave. Whilst a ludicrous and delusional theory, it was his only option, so he proceeded to do what any normal human being would. He closed his eyes and then opened them again, and to his his pleasure, 
he was asleep. Meanwhile, in a location far away from Antony, a man sat at a desk watching a series of monitors connected to cameras, anticipating the end of the day, yet not anticipating what he couldn't, which was, in this scenario, the menacing villain who stood behind him. Meanwhile, in an empty void of darkness, a grown man stood with tears in his eyes, watching another fade into the distance, leaving him to what he believed to be alone, yet ignoring the terrible criminal that stood behind him. Meanwhile, a man travelled into the unknown, yet leaving his former self behind. Two days before the siege... Antony felt a cold shiver crawl up his spine as he crept through the door. He knew it wasn't from the temperature. He knew that what he had to do, but could only imagine what horrors awaited him on his assignment. Cautiously, he closed the creaking door and shut the sun's guiding light out and his only hopes of escape. Then came a noise and he felt a deadly wave of anxiety wash over him. In the distance, an eerie green light began to glow, lonely in the distance. Following that trail, Anthony discovered a small memory stick on a desk beside a computer hovering slightly above an empty void. Anthony did not see the void below. Anthony did not jump in time. Therefore, Anthony fell to his death. Three years before the siege. Please, sit comfortably, whispered a small yet still menacing voice. Donald had no idea where he was. He had checked his utility belt twice and still found no possible solutions. There he was, tied up in the dark, listening to a small voice in the distance. I need to try to put this simply. The voice got louder as it spoke, growing louder and more menacing. Eventually, Donald felt the breath, violently yet silently, rush against his face. Whatever was speaking to him was right in front, and for some strange reason, he shivered at that thought. He tried to remember where he had been and what he'd done and why he could be there. Yet he still did not understand where he was. He stumbled in the dark, searching for a light switch, scraping his chair across the floor. But the second they made contact, the two made a screeching sound. The ear-piercing sound of metal against metal echoed in the emptiness. Did you enter Howard Yirel's tunnel? The breath was warm against his face. He hated it. The screeching came to a sudden halt as a soft, wrinkled hand laid its bony fingers on Donald's chair. A small light beamed in the distance and slowly but steadily began to near Donald's face. Did you? The light was burning his eyes now, blinding him. Ah! Screamed Donald, he had thought. He had had enough. Oh, I see. 
The voice was comforting him now. It was creaky, yet comforting, like the voice of an aged man. The light was off. Donald was relieved. So relieved that he took a deep sigh. The mood took yet another dramatic turn. Now answer my question! The voice was rough and painful to hear, like a wrecked microphone or an amplifier at the greatest distortion. Suddenly, Donald understood. He was being interrogated. But by whom? Yes, Donald replied, his voice somehow calm, quiet, panicked and fearless all at once. Why? How? When? The voice was fierce, but desperate and pleading. Donald opened his mouth to speak before lowering his head in shame. Was he really going to give away his life's work? The light was on again, and this time the voice showed no mercy, and the cycle continued throughout the night until his eyes were bloodshot and he was howling in pain. One week before the siege. Donald Allens is dead. How many times do I have to establish it for you to understand it? He was found dead in an abandoned factory three years ago. By the time Anna had finished her angry run to her colleagues and co-conspirators, the whole room was stunned to silence. Ever since the team had met Howard Yarrell, they had been bombarding her with theories about Donald faking his death, and now she had had enough. Before she could scream at everyone to get back to work, Harry finally said something interesting, something that intrigued everyone in the small, tightly packed office corridor. We found one, Anna. We found an all-seer. Anna stood still, in silence, for about a minute, before finally speaking. Where is it? She whispered, pointlessly. Follow me. After Harold's quick response, he guided his boss to a door, which guided them to a staircase, which guided them to a basement, which led them to a series of dark tunnels hidden deep below the surface. The tunnel walls oozed with a green substance and curved carefully into a perfect circle. The substance was beyond science fiction and defied the laws of gravity and chose whether it dripped or not. Sometimes it was sliding down the wall as a slippery liquid or closing in the walls as a tough, brick-like solid. Eventually, the tunnel came to a dead end, and as they did, a wave of ooze washed over them, covering the walls but perfectly shaping into their outline to miss them. Anna was amazed, but her colleagues were not. Their childlike wonder had gradually washed away with the ooze, daily, as they had frequently visited to work on secret projects, hidden away. Next, the substance took the form of a door and carefully burnt a hole through the wall to enter through and released it as they did. Inside, a creature known as an all-seer from the world hidden behind the void of the tunnel, as many called it. The all-seer was a complete silhouette 
of a human being, yet remained in a three-dimensional form. It was fantastical. Suddenly, the creature raised its arms to its shoulders and clicked his fingers to create a small blue flame. Harold smiled. And that's not even the best part, beamed Harold at the bewildered Anna. The best part is, now the colleagues too, were highly astounded and anticipating the answer. The all-seer can help us achieve our greatest dream. The all-seer can help us to see in the dark. At least, that's what the folks at the old people's home called it. And that is the end of part one of Seeing in the Dark. I hope you enjoyed it. And next episode, I will be joining a friend for the beginning of Book Talk, in which I will discuss all the best books with a friend. Every other, every other episode... I will participate in these talks and yes, it will just be a bonus to the series. But don't forget, I will be continuing this series of Seeing in the Dark. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Seeing in the Dark and a bunch of stuff I wrote. Sorry, that wasn't necessary. But thank you for listening. Goodbye.